and welcome to the Money Magic Podcast with Vangile Makwakwa. This is the podcast where we talk about trauma and how it affects our finances and our lives. I help women of color unlock ancestral wisdom so they can fall in love with their bank accounts, increase income, and live their best lives. This podcast was birthed when I started having conversations with private clients and students in my online courses about the remarkable shifts they'd had in their finances and started receiving feedback and updates from people on how these conversations were helping them understand their family dynamics and financial behavior. I've seen how unlocking ancestral wisdom has helped me pay off $60,000 in debt, buy property, launch and grow my company Wealthy Money into a six-figure business in US dollars as I travel and live in various countries on the globe. I've lived in over eight countries and traveled to many more as I built this company. My intention with this podcast is to provide you with weekly episodes that help you understand the importance of healing and help you understand your relationship with money better so you can start making different financial decisions and creating a life you love for yourself and future generations. So without further ado, let's get started and dive into this week's episode. Hi, Money Magicians. How are you? So welcome to episode 55 of the Money Magic Podcast. If you've just joined us, my name is Vanila Makwakwa and I am your host for this show. I help women of color heal ancestral money trauma, fall in love with their bank accounts and increase their uh, increased income and live their best lives, right? And today I have an incredible guest with me. Her name is Titi, and she is all the way from the UK, originally from Zimbabwe. Welcome to the show, Titi. I'm so happy that you are having a conversation with us around money. Hi, Vangile. Thank you so much for inviting me into your community and also inviting me to share what I know so far about money and all those wonderful things that we talk about about money. <laughs> yeah. So, oh my gosh, Titi, you start. Um, what do you do for a living? Before I even jump into anything else, tell us about you. What are your hobbies? Who are you as a person? Uh, how do you describe yourself? And then, what do you do for a living? That comes afterwards in the show. Because I want to know yeah. you. <laughs> yes. Um, yeah, who am I? Well, I'm a mother, I'm a wife, I'm a sister, um, I am, you know, a friend to so many people, a confidant. Um, what do I love doing? I love being around people, I love good food, I, I love gin and tonic. So if you're ever going to invite me, make sure there's a gin and tonic. <laughs> oh, I'll have to bear that in mind because I'm a red wine girl. I mean, no, no, <laughs> red wine, no, red wine. <laughs> Oh, gin water. Tonic. Yeah, gin and tonic is my thing. I love, I love music. I love singing. Um, that's something I used to do all the time when I was younger. I used to be in choirs and and things like that. Um, yeah, and and I love life and helping helping people. 
Um, and I've just found myself in this world of finance. And so I help people with their money. Um, what do I do? So uh, my nine to five job is uh, as an investment manager. I work for a wealth management firm here in the UK. That's not, That wasn't my dream job, but I kind of stumbled <laughs> into that. So I've been in the financial services industry for over 13 years in the UK. Um, wow. And I, I'd never been in financial services until I moved to the UK from Zimbabwe. And when I joined, I actually joined as a secretary and worked my mm. way up. We might touch on that later, but I won't go into the details of that now. Um, I'm also a certified financial coach. Um, and I went into coaching because I really felt that there was a gap between the high net worth individuals that I serve and people who are just like me or who were like me before I joined the industry. And I really mm. wanted to close that gap because I believe that the financial services industry has got so much to offer and it's, it supports people. Um, and I think everyone at every level of their money or wealth journey needs to interact with financial services in some way. But there was a gap between the conversation between the two. So I wanted to kind of bridge, bridge that gap, but um, also share what I know so far about money and wealth. And hopefully that will help build communities um, not just in the UK, but in Zimbabwe as well. Mm-hmm. But you also run um, a coaching services, right? Can you tell yes. us about that? Like, okay, so yeah, so my everything we want to know everything on this podcast. So you also coach people around money. Tell us what you do there. Yeah, so with the coaching, it's it's really um, it's evolved over time. Initially, it was mm-hmm. about just supporting people because. Um, a lot of individuals would come up to me with questions around pensions, about saving, about, you know, what is generational wealth? Um, mm-hmm. I'd be asked a lot of questions about tax, like, you know, mm-hmm. when especially when people are thinking about their parents getting older, they're about, you know, they, they're now people start thinking about things like inheritance tax, you know, the tax mm-hmm. that comes when someone has passed away. Um, all these questions and some of the questions they actually didn't need to ask because it wasn't an issue for them. So mm-hmm. there was this like knowledge gap and I thought I need to help people understand a bit more about how money works. So mm-hmm. it just started off like that where I'd be helping people by answering their questions. And from there, I realized that, you know, there was a, a, an issue here where people weren't really engaging well with money. Mm-hmm. It was, it seemed like something that they, it was the last thing on the list Um mm-hmm. And so I thought, you know, there's definitely a knowledge gap, but there's also a gap in terms of people understanding their impact on their money, right? Yeah. Because they were always... You just said a word there, sis. <laughs> people understanding their impact about money. Let's keep talking, but we're going to come back to that. Yeah. That was a sermon. <laughs> the beginnings of one anyway. <laughs> the beginnings of one, yeah. You know, not understanding how they they are impacting their money and also how you know their past has been is impacting their money mm-hmm. so and and i love understanding how people work so it just took me on this journey of okay it's really about mindset and habits so that's what i started um, helping people with just understanding their mindset their their money habits and showing them how they're actually impacting their their uh, relationship with money and the things that they do with their money 
but also trying to get them to understand what it is they really want to achieve and not be swayed by what the world um, seems to want them to achieve. So, um, you know, for instance, so you know. So powerful and so important what you've just said about what they want to achieve and not what the world wants them to achieve. Yeah, yeah, no, it's so true because a lot of the time I'd find that it's a case of people feeling like they don't deserve or they shouldn't have a lot mm -hmm. of money and so they'd be behaving in a certain way and some of that was because of things they were told when they were younger or things that mm -hmm. they saw growing up and I think especially for Black people there is mm -hmm. this sense that wealth isn't for us yeah. And so we behave with, you know, the things we do with money, it seems like we are, you know, we don't understand it. Mm. But sometimes we do understand it, but this, we try and repel the money because we feel it's it's not for us. And that's something mm. that I... But also the rest of the world tells us that. Exactly, exactly, exactly. I mean, I mean like if you open up books, sorry to interrupt, you see, but I'm okay. just thinking, open up books, open up magazines, like you're basically taught that Africa is synonymous with poverty. This yeah. kind of this kind of teachings at schools, by the media, all these teachings are basically saying to kids or uh, to black children and to children from the African continent, you are poor. That Poverty is something that is within your blood. They forget yeah. to negate. Again, it's like what Chimamanda Ngozi Adichie talk, talks about, right? That like, it's that if you are talking about Africa's story and you are starting from the middle, you know, about us being poor, you are not telling Africa's story because you're yeah. not talking about how Africa was wealthy and then became poor, right? Like yeah. that. The story of poverty in Africa is 300 years old, right? And yet Africa's story is millennia old, oh, right? Yeah, so you are telling old. a 300 year story, a three to 400 year story against millennia, like 10 millennia, right? Yeah. Like that is not Africa's story. Like it's not the full story of Africa. It's, this is a phase that we're going through, but then, keep repeating it and every generation for the last 400 years that hears this now believes that wealth is not our portion and yet how is it that this continent is so wealthy that exactly. the ground is so wealthy if wealth is not our portion and like the land responds to the psyche of a people then why is it that we are so wealthy yeah. you know tell yeah. the truth and exactly. so I agree. There's so much trauma in even how we are represented as Africans. That impacts our image of self, which is also another element. Forget our childhood stories, our family stories. This is another level of trauma that we then keep um, taking on how our stories are told to us about us, not by us, but about us to us. Mm. Yeah, and I think one thing that I have noticed, and you've probably picked this up, Vangile, mm -hmm. is that there are the stories that are told to us about us, but then within us, there's like this, this, this. It feels like a it's it's a counter story that we don't understand. Like, yeah. you know, why do I like nice things? Why do I want <laughs> to be like powerful and yeah. 
have that good job. Why am I a lycra of things, all nice yeah, things, you know? Like exactly. why? And, 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 and why am I proud? Like, you know, and when you look yeah. at Africans, you know, and, and when the West look at like Africans, um, you see color, you see pride. And, you know, I get, mm. I hear people ask questions like, there's so much poverty, but people are so happy. And yeah. there's like the counter of we, the way we move, the way we yeah. talk, the way we do things is completely opposite to what the world says we should be like. Mm. And when, and when that comes to the individual level and we're dealing with money, it causes a lot of confusion, mm. a lot of confusion, uh, confusion because the wealth is in us, like you're saying, in the land. The wealth is there, like, you know. Um, there is so much that comes out of the land in Africa, from minerals to to food yeah. and all sorts of things. And, you know, and to even... A, yeah, uh, as you talk about this, I want to say there's a literal connection between the land and us as a people. people. Yeah. It's like a first chakra thing. Is that like there's a DNA connection between the people of a land and the land as well. But I think that this is how trauma works, right? Trauma gets us, like in the same way with any individual, trauma gets you to forget who you are. This is why when you start feeling things like, it's like I'm coming back to myself. I'm remembering yeah. who I am. I can feel my power. So I feel like the trauma of collective oppression within Africa has made us forget ourselves, Make us has made us forget our own magic. So we somehow feel that like this land has all this wealth without us being in this land, that it just yeah. magically happened. We're not seeing. And also the trauma has caused us to disconnect from the land. So yeah. we don't see the connection between the wealth of the land and the wealth of the as us as a people of us as a yeah. people. And there is yeah. a direct connection to that, guys. There is a direct connection. But the thing is that if we don't see our own power as African people, someone else will make use of that power. And they have. They've yeah, been yeah. utilizing our knowledge, our power, our self, <laughs> our sense of self, our dances, our everything for their own benefit, right? Because yeah. the trauma has blinded us to our own magic, which yeah. I love what you're saying about like, you don't understand why you like nice things. Why am I attracted to nice things? And then the worst thing, I don't know if you see the city, it's like, we are likers of nice things. We like nice things. We like staying in certain places. Like that's just us as a people. You know, we like nice clothes. We like nice jewelry, all that. And then people shame us for that and tell us that we are poor because we are likers of things. Yeah. Not that we are poor because of the systems that keep us poor. Not that we are poor because we've been colonized and there's all this stuff. And no, we are poor because we are likers of nice things. Mm. Like, And then what we then do, I see this a lot with Black women, is then we force ourselves not to like nice things, to shut yeah. down our desires. Because no, if you go and you get the Gucci handbag, mm-mm you're broke because of that Gucci handbag, as opposed to let's have a different conversation, which is why you're here around how do we create wealth? How do we create generational wealth? Because me saving $3, three pounds or three rand or 30 rand on a latte, 
Let's be honest. I can do that for 30 days. I always say I hate the latte factor. So I don't buy lattes for 30 days. And I save 30 rand a day. That's 900 rand, right? Yes, over a year, it's something like maybe 11,000 rand or something like that. But, or 11,000 plus, right? So, but the thing is, at the end of the day, that is not what's going to make me wealthy. So even if I saved 11,000 rand for 10 years, I will have saved 110,000 rand in 10 years. You know, let's get real. Like when people are talking about creating wealth, they're talking about creating millions, assets, etc. Let's have that conversation and let's stop shaming people for wanting a little bit of pleasure in a world that can sometimes be harsh, extremely harsh. Yeah, yeah, I love that. And, you know, my my um, my strap line has become the designer of your financial future because I think it is so important to like really be not in control, but really think about what it is you want and and go for Mm -hmm. it. Because when we talk about money, money is just a tool, right? Mm -hmm. I liken it to like a a spade or even an ax. You take those tools and you you put them in your hand and you point to where you want them to hit. And it's your action that makes them hit and your perseverance that gets to create whatever it is, whether it's like Mm -hmm. hacking down something or digging a hole. Um, so it's really important for us to remember that we are in complete control of this, this tool, right? It will do whatever we want it to do. This concept of it be having its own power, its own mindset is, is completely wrong. Um, and so when I decided to go into coaching, it was about changing that mindset and getting especially black women to understand that we are able to make decisions based on the things that we want for ourselves, our families and our community, and we can make them happen. We just have to gain that confidence and realize that we can influence what happens with our money. So I I have a blueprint that I use. I call it the choices blueprint. Um, And it's basically seven steps that I take uh, my clients through when I'm coaching them about how to literally become the designer of your financial future and also create generational wealth at the same time. And part of that is if you, if the first step is about getting clear on what it is you really want. And if you want to have those lattes every day, that is absolutely fine because you can create that lifestyle and you can manage your money in a way that it allows you to have the lattes and still save You know, if you've got debt and you want to save, you can do the two together. It's just about understanding the how how to manage it. So I try and bring what I've learned, the technical stuff I've learned to become a wealth manager, plus my own journey, getting out of debt and really realizing that a lot of the stuff I was doing that was getting me in debt was because I wasn't following what was inside. I was trying to create a, a, a lifestyle that, the world was telling me I should have and mm-hmm. do things for other people. But once I started focusing on what I really wanted and was completely unapologetic about it, um, mm-hmm. it was just so much easier. And the money started flowing and all of a sudden the money was there, you yeah. know? Yeah, I love that. Can you walk us through your journey as to how you came to do this work? 
what was that like for you? Because I can only imagine. Um, <laughs> like I think yeah. that people that come to do deep money work have like some really interesting money stories, right? Like I always say to yeah. people, like those, the people that I know that were always good at saving when you talk to them, they're good at money. They were always good at money, et cetera. They okay, right? But those of us that have gone through the tranches and have been through yo, the money stuff, yeah. that's we got really interested in what is this money thing? What is going on here? Yeah, exactly. And we have to learn to heal in order to heal and change our money story. We had to go into the dark spaces where we deal with money. Mm. So what's been your money journey? Yeah, it's been a, a long one. It's still continuing. Mm. <laughs> the chapters are still being written. But, you know, it, it all began... Um, like everything, when when I was much younger, you know, my parents were both doctors. You know, I went to private school, etc., in Zimbabwe, mm-hmm. and literally, I I never thought about money. Things were just there; they were mm-hmm. always there. We would go on holiday. Everything was was there. Everything I could could ever dream of as a child, I got. Um, and I had three younger siblings. Um, my dad died when I was twelve, and my mother then passed away when I was seventeen. And um, between the ages of 12 and 17, I literally, I saw something happen that I never thought happened. Like I saw a woman manage a household on her own, um, which was like completely weird to me because I just thought I had the, the image of a perfect family. You know, a family is mother, father, children, you know, white picket fence, that sort of thing that you see on TV. Yeah. And I'm seeing this thing playing out in, in front of me. She passed away at 17. And then I was like, well, okay, I'm the eldest because I was always told that, you know, you have to look after your younger siblings, look out for them, set a good example. So I kind of decided that it was my um, place to become the head of the household and look after my siblings. And that is what I did. And um, the first real encounter for me with money, as in me having to make a financial decision, um, was when we got the like the rates bill from the, the city council. And there was a line there which said like water and there was an amount next to it. And I was like, we pay for water? <laughs> <laughs> I can imagine though it's 17. So you were taking care of the rates bills at 17. It's like we pay for water and there's no income. I'm still going to school. Like everyone's going to school. So I was now dealing with lawyers about, you know, the estate and whatnot and just didn't understand anything that was happening. All I needed was to make sure that these, these bills were being paid. Needless mm-hmm. to say, um, the money started running out and yeah. I'm, I'm still, I'm doing like, it was lower six at that time. So going on to my mm-hmm. A-level year. Um, so I did my A-levels, but during that period, I had to now decide what am I going to do in terms of, income coming into the house because no one was working everyone was going to school because um, you were the eldest at 17 and yes, you were the head yeah. of a household yeah so I decided to then do a secretarial course so I could go to work um mm-hmm. so that was like a year after after school and yeah I did the secretarial course and that's when I started earning but even then I don't even know what my first salary was because mm-hmm. it wasn't mine right it just as yeah. soon as I got it it went to pay rent it went to pay this it went to pay that and it was gone sure. so I can never I 
to this day, I don't know what it was. Um, and I know now that those events have had a really big impact on my relationship with money because mm-hmm. I am very, very giving. And for a long time, I was just like literally giving my money away as in if someone needed help, I would, I would help without thinking about my needs first to the point that when I moved to the UK, I got myself into a lot of debt because I was trying to help people back home, partly because it was, um, you know, there was that guilt about, oh, I'm in this place. Now I can build my life and I'm using a currency that's actually can do something right with a pound. You can do quite a lot. Yes. Um, where the currency was devaluing on an hourly basis. So you couldn't do much. So there was yes, that. I guilt. guess when you, that was in the early 2000s, right? In 2006. Oh my gosh, I remember that, that the currency, there was a time in Zimbabwe when like literally what you could buy an hour before, you couldn't buy with the same amount of money in Zimbabwe. Uh, Oh my goodness. Yeah, it was crazy. It was crazy. So there's that. And also by that time I'd had my daughter and I had left her behind so I could set things up in the UK and Mm -hmm. so she could come. So there's also money going back because of that, right? To support family back home I'm trying to maintain relationships so when people need things I'm kind of like being okay I'll support because I didn't have a net you know strong relationships here in terms of family even though there is family here but you know I didn't have that those connections I was still holding on to back home also because I came with that five-year plan right that everyone has when they move Mm -hmm. overseas I'll be back in five years um So it just made sense to be like kind of investing back home. Needless to say, I get myself into a lot of debt. And um, there was a point where for three months, I would literally go to work and come home and not talk to anybody because I I was so weighed down by this debt. I was so confused about what to do because I didn't understand how it worked. You know, when I moved to the UK, Mm. I opened a bank account and I was given an overdraft. And I thought it was free money because the people I knew used to say no. that, oh, they'll just give you. So I was now. You didn't even know what an overdraft was. No, I didn't need to use an overdraft. And, you know, in for most African countries, it is a cash economy, right? I think yeah. South Africa is the only one with a really sophisticated financial services system where people use credit cards, where people use debt Quite a and lot. we and you see what that has done to us in terms of exactly. debt. We're on par with the US yeah. and the UK in it's, terms it's of crazy. debt. We're like a debt economy. So I don't I don't know how I feel about sophisticated financial systems because you know most Asian countries are the same in terms of like same as other African countries. It's cash economies. Yeah. So yeah. people don't carry the insane amounts of debt that South Africans carry, you know? Yeah. So there's a lot to get about these sophisticated economies. They they have their own downsides. Indeed, indeed, yeah. But the lack of that sophistication for me coming from, uh, you know, Zimbabwe, which was a very much Mm. a cash economy. And yes, there was debt, like mortgages and and loans, et cetera. Those are the ones Mm. I knew. I didn't know about credit cards. Um, and I, you could get stuff on higher purchase as well. Yeah. But most of the time, it, it was cash. And I think even now, people prefer to use cash because anyway, with 
what we've experienced with the currency devaluing, you want yeah. to kind of spend the money there and then. Yeah. Um, and then I moved to the UK and there's all this thing about credit cards and whatnot. So I thought it's, you know, and when they sell it to you, right, it's like, <laughs> oh, you take this amount, the interest rate is this amount. And what? so I'm just like, yeah, I can manage it. But what yeah. was happening is I get this loan here and then I get this one here and looking at them individually, but not like the whole thing. Yes, that was, I think that's also how I got caught up. I yeah. like, I got credit cards, like right after graduation, like Standard Bank. Ooh, should I say the bank? Anyway, I said it, but like, the bank, not their fault, guys. Like my, you yeah. know, I have issues with banks, but like they, well, I guess maybe partly their fault too. But <laughs> they asked me, I'm like 22, what do you want to do? Um, do you want a credit card? And in my head, I was like, I didn't, the only person that I knew that had one credit card was my dad. My yeah. mom had never had credit cards and my dad doesn't also believe in debt. So my parents had never believed in debt, you know, like whatever they get on credit, they pay off. But my mom's yeah. always got everything cash. Her house has been cash. Everything's been cash, car cash. To this day, my mother bought a new, uh, a new car like a few years ago. She got a cash, like everything is done cash, you know? So I was then told like, hey, what do you want? Uh, do you want a credit card? And I remember saying to the bank teller, why would I want a credit card? She's yeah. like, well, I see you're getting a salary. You don't have an overdraft. Yes. You don't have a credit card. So started my drama, guys. I had lost my bank card. I thought I was going to replace it. Then this woman tells me I can get a credit card for about 15,000 rand, which is about a thousand US dollars. So I'm like, why would I do with that? I was literally confused. I, I remember asking this question, why would I get a credit card? And then she said the magic words. She said, maybe you can get a car. Maybe you want to get yeah, some, you want to get clothes. Exactly. I was like, no, I don't get, I won't get those things on credit because I hadn't seen anyone get those things on credit, right? So then she was like, oh, if you want to go traveling, my ears perked up. I said, what? She said, oh, yeah, you can use your credit card to go traveling and to pay for plane tickets. I was like, sign me up, ma'am. <laughs> I couldn't get this credit card fast enough. I walked out of there with a new bank card and a credit card, and I knew I was going to go traveling. And so I started traveling with credit cards. And yeah. even in the UK, I got credit cards. In the US, I got credit cards. I got credit cards everywhere because now it was my way of traveling, you know? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So it's, I mean, the thing with debt is that there is good and bad debt. And most of the time it's about understanding how to manage it. And mm -hmm. I didn't know. And also I had this habit of giving, like I am a giver, which is why mm -hmm. I've gone into coaching and all that stuff. And why I'm happy to go onto people's podcasts and talk at events because I want people to learn, you yeah. know, but I didn't realize that that was also feeding into how I was managing my money. Mm -hmm. um, and um, it got to a point where I was now just really sick and tired of feeling like every time I walked out of the house, there was a sign on my head and people could see that I had debt. You know, like it was, yeah. It I does thought, feel like that though. Like I and agree. I know, and I'm thinking if my employer finds out, if all these people find out, you know, it's like you're carrying this secret because also there was no one to talk to, at least that's how I felt, right? I felt there was no one to talk to, nowhere to turn. Like even at the banks, at the, you know, where I was owing money, it just felt like if I go to them, it's going to be like, 
they'll look at me like it was more about the shame, right? Why mm. have you put yourself into this debt? You know, um, I'd have to reveal everything. So one day I just thought I've had enough. Um, I need to do something about this. So I called a debt consolidation company and spoke to a guy, you know, for maybe an hour or so. And he went through the, you know, the questionnaires that they do. What's your income? What are your outgoings? And basically came up with a, a rough plan. But he was going to send paperwork through for me to really put things down so that um, I can have a clear plan. But basically, the plan was I would pay like a hundred pounds a month, and it would be split between all the different places. And within maybe six and a half years, I'd have cleared my debt. Um, and I was like, yeah, okay, that's fine. Because, you know, I do have pounds. You didn't owe a lot of money. It's, it was, it, it didn't, it seemed like a lot. Uh, <laughs> and remember, and remember but, but what, what the plan was going to be was that the interest was going to be stopped as well. Ah. You know? And obviously when you pay ah. off one, then it goes on to the next one. Yes, right? the snowball effect. It's a snowball. I didn't know about that. Yeah. And then, so that was fine. I was like, okay, fine. You know, send the paperwork through. That's, that's a good enough plan. But as soon as I cut the phone, I was just, I remember saying to myself, I cannot go through this for another six and a half years. Yeah. Yeah. Because I just thought by the time it's six and a half years, there's things I want to do. I have to wait yeah. for six and a half years. You know, my credit score, you know, these things stay on your credit file for six years. So that means... Yeah. After six, I go six and a half years, and then I have to wait another six years. That's 12 and a half years. Yeah. And I was like, Yeah. And so I literally got my laptop, created a spreadsheet, and for the first time listed everything I owed mm. and to whom, and then looked at my income, what I was paying for for the very first time since I'd moved to the UK. Mm. You know, what was coming in and out, and then kind of did my own plan for paying it off and I basically became debt free in one and a half years. And Yay! Oh, Casey, that's you. amazing. From thank six you. and a half years to one and a half years. Yeah. Oh my gosh. And yeah. of course the debt consolidation company was also looking at what was possible for you in terms of the um, your salary and everything. Do you mind sharing with someone who's on the other end and just like, oh my gosh, I'm drowning in debt. How did you do it? What are some things that you did on your own? So you did the spreadsheet and then. Yeah. So I literally, I mean, the first, yeah, the things I did, which I is like, that's how I've now, when I look back at it, that's, that's the basis of my blueprint that I take my clients through. You know, I call it choices mm -hmm. because each letter in the word choices stands for a step. And the oh. first one is C, which is clarity. Okay. Um, and I literally you know, and clarity came from me doing that spreadsheet, being really clear on where I was like, listen, mm -hmm. this is what you're owing, right? And seeing it, because the thing is, mm -hmm. I was that person who wasn't even opening the letters when they were coming in, right? Oh, I, my hand like, is raised. My hand is raised. I, 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 looking at I, it, I wasn't, like, <laughs> yeah, I wasn't <laughs> acknowledging it. I was just like, oh, I'm, you, you then know which company it is, right? From even if they're yeah. all white envelopes, you know that it was that company. I just, I keep them, put them to the yeah. side because I, I like order. So I want to file, like, oh, file. <laughs> things were just piling up. And then I ended up sometimes throwing things away. So literally I started opening those envelopes. Mm -hmm. 
and putting them in piles like okay this is from that company and putting the most recent one at the top because that would have the most recent balance right <laughs> um and then also understanding what was coming in and what was i paying yeah. for um another thing was really looking at where is my money going the one that the money that's not paying the bills right because mm-hmm. a lot of people who've grown up in africa and moved to the diaspora and have got links back home we're sending money home we're sending money home we're supporting people back home and i'm asking myself why am i supporting this person you know what is the reason mm-hmm. and how is that going to benefit me because you know and then it was a question of where do i want to be right and i definitely didn't want to be living in the flat that i was living in it was a very nice flat but i wanted more i wanted property the reason yeah. why i moved was so i could buy have my own property eventually yes. have a car, nice car have nice things because those are the things that i wanted and i was like yeah. that's what i want so what am Who i does not want nice things man exactly <laughs> what am i going to do to get from where i am now to where mm-hmm. i want to be um and then i had to look at myself and think okay the way i'm spending my money why am i doing it this mm-hmm. way why is it? i mean now i can say that it was partly the, this thing about keeping relationships back home um also helping people you know my parents always used to say you know you you, you need to set a good example um also that awareness of back home things weren't right so you feel like you're obliged to to support there was that um and in some instances there was a, a an a, an element of power and i think a lot of people don't acknowledge that that when you're when when people need you you have a certain level of power and it becomes yeah. intoxicating doesn't it and addictive there is so that right and i this is what i always say so when i do my work i always look at the breadwinners and the people that are recipients um and reliant on the breadwinners right and i'm like i don't exclude the breadwinners as part of the problem right because i'm like that is it is that like most breadwinners are there because while well, helping other people means that like you get it's like you are now included in other people's worlds yeah. you now enmeshed like decisions can be made without you like yeah. there's a funeral at home you must be consulted so you get to be the person mm. you know you get your status and that's and i understand that right because yeah. it's like people get something from that yeah and you um, do and I, and i think if you are if you're on your own and you yeah. you get that opportunity to have that role you know yeah. some people may want to hold on to it yeah. um you know, i had to acknowledge the fact that i've got a daughter and I, and i and that was a really big thing for me like what is she learning from this when she's seeing this mm. and if i continue like this what is she not going to inherit as and in, actually inherit but like what sort of person is she going to be when it comes to money and you know mm. it's creating this cycle so i had to break that so i had to look at my habits and my mindset and that's the 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 h the second letter in choices you know understand your habits and mindset and then overcome like really start working on some of those limiting beliefs that you know that thing those things that i used to hear or see and which made me feel like actually i don't deserve because that the reason why i was also giving money away was i felt i didn't deserve the money mm. right i didn't deserve nice things i didn't deserve good things to happen to me and if i had a lot of money it would mean i could have the nice things and it was a good thing 
um, but it would be taken away. And a lot of that came from the fact that I lost my parents, mm. right? That they so were taking away from Losing your parents and also for your inner child probably saw it as abandonment, right? Exactly. Even though like it was out of your parents' control, but like children process things differently. So your inner child and your inner teen probably felt that. So the fear of being abandoned by money as well. So if money had to run out, you know. So, and also living in, in Zimbabwe where, you know, I, I went through that whole phase where, you know, my, my, my mid to late teens and my adulthood was all about chaotic money and money coming and money going, money disappearing because they've changed the rules or whatever, money not being worth anything. So it was easy to just be like, oh, I've got money, you, you know, I, I don't, I, it, I think I was probably uncomfortable having a lot of money because it's like, what, what do I do with it? And that was the other thing. I didn't know what to do with the money, Yeah, which is a, which is a big thing. So uh, because I wasn't clear on what I, where I wanted to go. So um, yeah, I had to work on that myself and then really, really become clear on what it is I wanted to do, you know, identify my real intentions and my values mm-hmm. and why I wanted to go to work and why I wanted to have money. So you know, I mentioned the properties, I mentioned just being comfortable and comfortable to me means so many things. It means going to nice restaurants. It means going on holidays. It means, yeah. you know, being able to get my hair done and my nails done and all those things and having the type of gin and tonic that I like, you know. Um, <laughs> I love that. Having the type of gin and tonic that I like. Yeah, exactly. No, like I shared stories about like when I was highly broke, I would go to restaurants and I would always like look for the cheapest item on the menu, not because this is what I wanted, but like, this is how I had trained myself. So I was heavily in debt, but no matter how cheap I went, I never seemed to get out of debt, Mm. you know? And it's ironic because now I don't get into debt. And yet, like, I don't even look at what's the cheapest thing on the menu. I'm just like, this is what I want. And that's what I'm having, you know? But when I was struggling the most financially, I was cutting back the most financially. And I was getting deeper, deeper into debt because this comes back to what you talk about. It's the mindset, right? There's so much that you can't, you can't, get cheap enough to be wealthy you don't you you know that's just the thing because I have so many people that come to me and say to me I've cut back as much as I can and sometimes they don't hear me when I say it's not about how much you cut back because like some of them will say I'm even living just I don't even buy anything like junk food I just buy the food that I need I am and yet things are getting worse because that mm. is not the solution. It's not. Yeah. It's it definitely isn't. You know, it's 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 all about it's all about the mindset. And it's really interesting when I decided to put myself out there as a financial coach. And you know, we do these discovery calls to find out, you know, if we can work with an individual and what it is that they really need help with. And a lot of the time, the biggest barrier would be people just want like the solution, like, just tell me what it is I need to do. How, how can I change my budget? And, you know, I would go for hours and hours saying, you know, it's not about the budget. It's you. It's actually mm-hmm. you. And you need to understand yourself. So, you know, my, my process is about understanding yourself first. And then let's put the plan into place. Um, mm-hmm. Which then is like the, 
you know, step number five in my blueprint about evaluating whether your money is working as hard as you do. And that's when we do the, the, I call it a spending plan. What are we spending our money on? And is it in line with our intentions and our values? So if you're someone who wants to go out and have a meal or go on, on holidays, then is your money actually working towards that? When you're spending your money, are you spending it in a, in alignment with that? Or are you doing the complete opposite? Yeah, and we talk a lot way, about that, spending in a work. If you're saying, I like going on holidays and whatever, but you're spending it on, um, I don't know, maybe on clothes and expensive handbags, mm-hmm. of course, your money is mm-hmm. never going to work for you because you're not actually enjoying it. You want the holiday. So, you know, I my very first client said to me, I want to go on holidays. I love traveling and I want to travel in first class. And I was like, right. So how can you make that happen? Mm-hmm. And with the spreadsheet template that I made for myself when I went into debt, that's the one I, when I was trying to get myself mm-hmm. out of debt, that's what I give to my clients. She literally mm-hmm. sat down and was like, literally, I don't need to spend money on that because I don't even like that. And actually it makes me gain weight and whatnot. And I'm like, yeah, if you're ill, you can't even get on the plane to go wherever you want to go. So, you know, when you start, when you start using your money to do things that really feed you, that are in alignment Mm. with what you want, you didn't, it just expands, right? It just expands. You've got so much more. And I, my salary has increased over time because, you know, as I've been in the industry, I've, you know, I've, I've got my qualifications, mm-hmm. you know, I've changed roles a bit, but I've, my budget is still as, you know, it's based on my basic and nothing extra, right? If I get bonuses or whatever that goes into savings, I don't even use it. Whereas before, when I used to get a bonus, I would spend that money so quickly, mm-hmm. Like and not even re- and I, I have nothing to show for it. Mm-hmm. Now the extra money I don't even need to spend it because I, everything is allocated and it's it's in alignment with what I want for myself. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, it's it's to get to that point is really really phenomenal. But you need that mental resilience. You need to understand mm-hmm. yourself. You need to understand the triggers that will make the plan work. Because mm-hmm. I have been when I started this whole paying myself first and saving, um, mm-hmm. I would get to the point where I'd have like, let's say a thousand pounds in the bank account. And I'm looking at it and I'm thinking, this is too much money. And I'm like, okay, what has triggered? Why am I feeling this way? Like, Why am I feeling like I need to spend it? And understanding those things mm-hmm. is how you can start building that wealth. Yes, yes. Oh my gosh. So, so powerful. Hmm. I I genuinely, genuinely love what you've just said. So uh, what you just said when I was interrupting, um, <laughs> not one of my many bad habits, guys, you guys know from the podcast, I get overly excited. <laughs> but um, one of the things that you said is how money grows when you spend it on the things that matter to yeah. you. So we talk a lot in the bank account challenge, which is a course that I have around um, and that I run, which is all about spending money in accordance with your values, right? Yeah. 
So aligning your spending, because when most people will be like, I am in alignment and in the new age space, we talk a lot in the personal development space, people talk about alignment, alignment, but alignment is also very much a behavioral thing, right? A lot of people talk about being in alignment with um, their like internally with chakras, et cetera. But I'm always like, I'm happy about that. But you know, like your behavior also has to be in alignment. Your behavior is what tells us that you are in alignment, right? How you operate. And when it comes to money, that is what financial behavior is alignment, right? You are in alignment with the vision. So if you say to me, you want to start a business, but then all your money goes to everything but a business <laughs> or like all your money goes to everything but anything, even things around learning business, money, etc. Yeah. then you are out of alignment, right? Yeah. Like I can tell you through how you spend money if you are in alignment or not, you know? So exactly. I love what you said, exactly that. It's about the flight tickets, like, the client that wanted to fly first class, it's not about, as most people have been taught, that you need to cut back on everything and just no. live on bread and water in order to have money. No, it's about being in alignment with your spending and how you behave with money, how you spend money, how you make money, right? Yeah. So super, super powerful, TC. Thank you for that. Mm-hmm. Um and how is how do you see that um, your definition? Did you ever have a definition of money trauma, and how is that changing? Because I imagine that maybe you also thought, oh, it's about the things that your parents are saying around money. But now I see that it's grown to encompass even what was happening in the country that you're growing up in, which is so, so important because the environment in which we grow up in has an impact on our psyche and our mindset. This is the thing I always say to people because people will say to me, when I was living in this particular place and it was beautiful and gorgeous, my money just flowed. But then to save money, I moved to a a different uh, neighborhood and now the things that I see don't even make me come alive, but I'm paying less in rent paying less in everything, but my money is worse than ever before. Environment has an impact on us as well. It but, does. Oh, anyway, I digress. How has <laughs> your definition of money trauma changed? Yeah, well, I actually, I didn't have a definition of, of uh, money trauma. You know, when, when I got into this whole money game, um, <sighs> you know, I, I it, it wasn't really about, about money. So my first introduction to managing money and looking after money and growing money was when I got my job in financial services, mm-hmm. um, you know, and that was in 2007. And when I walked into that company, I, and it, I still work there. Um, yeah. When I walked into the company, I looked around, and I was like, this is not for me. It was just a, you know, it, I just saw a sea of white males in pinstripes and I was like no it's not for me and I'll be out of here in three years and I'll go and do like marketing or or, or something else you know not also realizing that that's part of the 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 traumatic story that that I carry Mm -hmm. nice um, things are for other people right yeah I see people say that a lot do that a Mm -hmm. lot we're like 
you tell so them about something yeah. and they go, mm, I'll see that in another three or four years. Yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. no, guys. Nice things are your portion in life. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> it's okay to ask yourself, how can I make this happen in six months in a year? Yeah. But I see that a lot. And sometimes I never know if I should engage people and say, hey, when you say that and when you do that, that's part of the money story. Because yeah. why not now? Why can't you have these things right now? Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. It's it's crazy, you know. Um and, you know, just going back to the trauma, I think I've discovered this thing about money trauma when I was asking a lot of questions mm. about my own behavior. And then looking back, I mean, I, I tell a story of when I was doing filing at work and I came across a trust deed, which was written in the 1800s. And I couldn't believe it that this individual had set aside some money for his children and their children. So his children and his grandchildren and the descendants after that. In the and, 1800s. And this was now 2007. It was actually 2008. I'm looking at this thing and I'm like, how is this possible? Remember my parents died in the nineties and I'm just like, why didn't they do this? Or why didn't they talk about it? So I'm asking all this, like, why didn't they talk about this sort of thing? Why are the older people around me not in the community not talking about this. Why don't we learn about this thing? And how is this possible? Because that money was alive. Like we were managing that money. And I was like, this money would so have been used years later. properties, would have been used to buy cars, would have sent people to school. And it's still living today, covering medical bills. And it just blew my mind. And on asking that question, like literally every day, I was like, how is this possible? And then just looking back at like, you know, if we go back to the beginning of this conversation, when you were talking about where our history, where our story begins, right? It begins as a, at a place where we are nothing and have nothing. We are worthless, right? And if you go before that story, that's where the real story is. And we don't have the story. So I, over time, I've got to understand that you know, this money trauma that we have isn't even about us now or our parents. It goes millennia back. It goes so far. far it's back. ancestral, right? So ancestral. And that's one thing that I want to spend my time like learning and understanding because it really is. I, I believe that a lot of the behaviors that Africans have, especially when it's like secrecy around money and the things we have, Part of it comes from just protecting the clan and protecting what you yes. have from it being taken away. But we've evolved. And fear of witchcraft. Like this is something yeah. like, I mean, I go as deep as teaching that because it is part of our culture and this fear rules us. Many of us were not able you know, to move forward. So we yeah. can't say, oh, that's modern day. I don't care about it. Your ancestors cared about it and they imparted it to you. That's what yeah. matters. When yeah, I you're out here, you're like, I don't believe in that. It's all yeah. good. I don't either really subscribe to a lot of those doctrines. But those things we need to unpack and look at so that we can heal because they were passed on to us. Like, you'll be secret for no reason. You don't even know. Why don't you want to tell someone something small, man? Like, I got mm -hmm. a promotion. You're like, 
No, people shouldn't know, but we don't know why we're behaving like this. Exactly, exactly. And and I'm 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 like that, you know, to be honest, when it comes to especially when it comes to work, not not my business, but when I'm when I'm working with different groups of people, um, mm-hmm. there are certain groups where I just keep my things to myself. And some people will be like, oh, she just keeps her things to herself. And part of it was um uh, when I was a secretary, I, I had quite senior roles in the companies that I worked with. So mm-hmm. it was seen as a good thing, you know, to, you know, confidentiality, because I had a lot of information. So I thought, oh, yeah, mm-hmm. it's a good, I can keep I can I can keep confidential information. Mm-hmm. I'm also very good at keeping secrets because people come and tell me things. But when mm-hmm. I am in the workplace, I mean, I, I can work with you and you'll never know anything about me because that's oh. but that comes from. The ancestral stuff, right? <laughs> Where we just we keep things to ourselves because of fear of people either destroying us or or, or, or trying to make us fail, etc. Um, and then that comes into our money. So it took me a very long time to even speak to someone about the money. You know, talking about it was one thing, and then overlay that with the fact that you don't even know where to go. Mm. it's a cocktail of disaster mm. you know but one thing I will say about trauma is um as you know I've got my own podcast and I've actually recently interviewed a lady who talks about trauma and she said something that was so mind-blowing to me that you know mm. you have to be willing to go through the breakdown to get to the breakthrough oh yeah definitely um, and it's like you know and and for me that's just because a lot of people fear dealing with their trauma mm. um and it's that fear that sometimes stops people from actually being able to deal with their money issues mm. because it's so tied to a traumatic experience and they mm. won't even know um, mm. what the experience is un- until they start talking to someone like you about, you know, the, the trauma, the ancestral trauma, etc. Yeah. yeah, no, I agree with that. I agree with that fully. Oh, wow. So... Thank you for that, Titi. Can you then also tell us um, what are some three things that you've learned from healing um, your money story? So what are some lessons or insights that you've learned? Just share three of those with us. Yeah, okay. I'll do my best. (laughs) (laughs) Um, I think the first one is um, you can definitely rewrite your money story Mm. Um, and your story is never over you know Um, so you know become the author of your 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 financial story don't let other people write it for you Mm. is really important and and by that I mean you know you 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 have the power to influence everything you do with your money from whatever point you're in, whether you feel like you're at the verge of bankruptcy or even if you've gone bankrupt, mm. you can still become a millionaire. Yes. It's really up to you. And you just have to pick up because there's so many blank pages. Um, mm. That's the first one. You know, pick up that pen, write your write, write your future story and just go with it mm. because it's, it's your story and don't give the power to somebody else. So that's the first one. Um, the second one... I would say is um, we have it's it's our responsibility to break the cycle. Mm-hmm. Um, we cannot um, let the next generation start, you know, at minus at, at minus again. 
So mm. it, it is our responsibility to learn and to teach. If I hadn't gone through the learning process that I had gone through, I wouldn't be able to pass on the knowledge to my daughter that I have now. And when mm -hmm. I see her helping her friends, um, you know, it's it's just means that it's it's really trickling down. So, um, so I guess your daughter's <laughs> helping her friends with their money stories. Yeah, occasionally. I mean, she's got her own money stories. Right now, it might be a bit of a nightmare, but you know, she's going to rewrite it. But yeah, she's she's been able to actually identify when someone she's been able to pick up people's behavior. Yes. You know, amongst her friends and thing and because she went through that, right? Mm -hmm. And so she's now saying to them, you know, what what's the problem? Because I approached her when she was behaving a bit weird to yes. be like, okay, that is so on? beautiful. You know, so being able to do that actually helps not just yourself but other people. So I would say mm -hmm. that second one is really about it's not about you, it's mm -hmm. about many more people, and so that's our responsibility. Mm -hmm. Um and the third one, um, I would say about, you know, what I've learned about dealing with um, financial trauma is there is wealth in us, mm -hmm. whatever it is, and we have the ability, we, we have the knowledge, we can, we can actually overcome anything. Mm -hmm. And some of that trauma, in that trauma, there are lessons. And I, I've learned mm -hmm. a lot of lessons about understanding the trauma that I went through Lessons about myself, lessons about the world, and lessons about how I can make things better. Mm. Yeah. Mm. I love, love this. Whew. This is incredible. So, Titi, do you have one exercise that you can give to people, like someone who is trying to start off on their um, money journey and doesn't know yeah. where to start in terms of a wealth creation? Do you have like a daily, weekly or monthly exercise that people can engage in that can maybe start to shift them? Yeah, I would say, um, I wouldn't call it an exercise, but it, it's a question that um, when when I'm feeling a bit stuck, because I, you know, maybe, I don't know about you, Vangli, but even though we are out here helping people with their money, we do sometimes fall over ourselves and get ourselves into a few um, <laughs> sticky situations where it's like, oh, why is this happening? Why why is there no more money in the bank account? Mine is, a, mine is like, I'm an open book. People are constantly hearing about my tricky situations. And yeah, you know, so, so what, I, what I do is always, when I'm, when I'm at that point where my brain is like do you really need this is this a bit of an impulsive buy or is this decision mm -hmm. good is always to ask myself is this in alignment with my values and my wealth intentions mm -hmm. to do that you have to get clarity so understand where mm -hmm. you are now and where you want to be but yeah. when, once you've done that right so maybe that's the exercise ask you get clear on where you are now in your money in your life in every area of your life Mm -hmm. And then ask yourself, where do you want to be in your money in every area of your life? Mm -hmm. And then when you are making those daily purchases, those financial decisions, ask mm -hmm. yourself, is this taking me closer to where I want to be? Mm -hmm. Yeah. I love this. Like, I really, really love this. So, guys, beautiful exercise. Whenever you're making a purchase, you can just stop and ask yourself, is this taking me closer to what I want, to where I want to be, where I want mm. to go? Perfect. I love that, Titi. Thank you so much. Um, 
This has been phenomenal. So let me just say, I am still stuck on the trust from the 1800s. Um, <laughs> I suspect that as we get to the close of the interview, we are all still stuck on that. And just, wow, just to imagine that right now, me, I can impact my generation, like my descendants 200 years from now through yeah. the choices that I make, which can really change the game for my great, great, great grandchildren, right? And they can thank me for that. Or maybe not. They probably will be like, grandma gave us all this money. Now we've got money issues <laughs> that happens too. That's okay. But at least they'll have money issues in beautiful homes and beautiful spaces and their descendants will get to go to school. That is so beautiful. Thank you for sharing that story. And I know that there's people that are out here wanting to work with you. So before I even ask for your contact details, you're based in the UK. Can you work with anyone that wants to set up an investment portfolio in the UK? Um. Um, yes, so I can through the company that I work for. We yeah. we can do that. You just have to be able to pass the the money laundering requirements. So we'd have to prove that you are a real person. Okay. Um, and then obviously there's um, levels of. So I work directly with the client. So I'm at the higher end of the service. But you know we do have um, a do-it-yourself online service as well, yeah. and you can you know build. Um, as you're going, going as you know, as your wealth grows, um, I'd always say to people who are investing from overseas is just be mindful of the the currency, you know, exchange rates and things like yeah. that. But yeah, these days it's so it's so easy to start investing. You know, right. it's, it's it's so easy. It's so easy to start investing, and you know, some of the clients I have who've got massive portfolios just started with what they had where they were mm -hmm. and then built it to a reasonable size so that they could move it to you know maybe a, a pot in the UK and in Switzerland and, and wherever or even in South Africa yeah so um how much what is the bare minimum that people can start with to start working with you in terms of investments and what are some things just give us on this podcast, we've had people come and share, at least Shanine, who come and share like various um, options of investing. Like, can you do? Can you share what kind of assets people can invest in? As yeah. So the way we invest, so the company I work for is called Charles Stanley Wealth Managers, and mm. we basically invest in equities and funds. So. Um, and with, with equities, that's shares in companies. And we will buy anything that's easily purchased on the stock exchange. So mainly UK, we do overseas um, companies as well. Mm -hmm. um, it really depends on the client what their requirements are. Um, so we have to make sure that whatever investment we're putting into a portfolio is suitable for them, you know, mm -hmm. their risk level and the objective that they want. So some clients want to build a portfolio that will grow for the next generation. Others want to get some sort of income from the money that they've put into the investment. So it's about um, aligning what the client wants, understanding what the client wants first, and then building the, the investments. But I mean, you know, we, we can invest in, in 
just about everything. What we don't invest in is like physical property because that's not what we do. We're basically um, a stock stockbroking firm. Um, but our wealth management um, comes in because we do also financial planning for clients. Wow. And my role, I guess my role um, in the equation is I'm the person who buys, the, buys and sells the stocks and shares for individuals. Wow, this is incredible. So um, just to make this clear, we always want to uh, make sure that people know that this is open to them because, you know, it's that this is for other people, not for me, because I can't, uh, no, it's I can't afford everyone. it. Like she's yeah. talking stocks, she's talking <laughs> the UK, she's talking pounds, she's talking currencies, huge, she's talking white men in pinstripe suits. <laughs> so what is, yeah. How early can someone start investing? Like, what is like if I have two hundred pounds, can I come to you and say, "Listen, CT, I've got two hundred pounds. What can we do with it? Can you work with me at that level, or do I have to be at a yeah. higher level?" So you'd have definitely have to be at a higher level because it's a bespoke personal service. But you can start with the online service where there's a lot of guidance. Um, and we, we have an online service, but there are a lot out there where you can start building your, your wealth. And that's how I started. You know, I started with the small amounts that I have and just being consistent, putting that money in, letting it grow. Um, mm -hmm. And now I, you know, I, I manage my own pension. I man manage pensions for people. I manage oh all sorts, you know, uh, large accounts in the millions of pounds for, for individuals. And those individuals who've got like, you know, the 1 million, 2 million, 3 million pound portfolios, when I've sat down with them and asked them how they built it, it's literally with that first 200 pounds. Whoa. So yeah. they, from 200 pounds, they were able from, to From the 200 them. pounds, they were just consistent about adding money, whatever they could, even if it's just like, say, 50 pounds a month, and it would grow by investing it. So what you need to do is, Firstly, take action and invest, but give you that money time to grow. Uh, and time is the most important thing. Um, the biggest barrier I had when it came to investing to begin with when I moved to the UK was I was so used to the way money would grow in Zimbabwe. Like you could yes. do it <laughs> day, like now and in half an hour, you've doubled your money. Uh, <laughs> yeah, because I mean, there's, You've tripled out of that in developing countries, right? Yeah. I think I want to backtrack and say not in developing countries because I live in Asia and often opportunities like that don't come. But like I find that in African countries, we yeah. are a little spoiled in terms of returns on investments. We have yes. many opportunities to get like 50% return on investment, 60% to double money at an incredible yeah. rate. Like we have... And that means that, like, we have so much class mobility on the continent, right? Because you don't have to stay in the same class if you can find a way yeah. to make money multiply for you. Yeah. But I know that in developed countries, you do have um, an opportunity to keep uh, growing your income, right? Yes. It's uh, a very you, patient game in this yes, part of the world. Yeah, like you, it's, the returns are like your three, 
But I think we, you and I had a conversation in this uh, with this, right? That people listening to this podcast shouldn't be deterred by this, right? Because you want to have, especially most of us that are living in African countries and investing in them, or um, some of us that are traveling and investing in various countries, we want, uh, we also want to diversify our portfolios. So can you just talk to us a little bit about why that is important? And then also let's talk about what we spoke about, which is the power of currency, right? Is that the power of if I'm investing in pounds now, like I'm thinking, imagine if I had started investing in pounds when I was 18, maybe a hundred pounds with my 700 rand when it was like seven rand to the pound or something like that. And then um, it was like 10 to the pound. And now the pound is like one pound equals 20 rand, right? That investment would be insane right now. Yeah, when you convert it back to to, um, Mm. to your local currency. Yeah, so it's, um, it's definitely an individual thing. Right. And it's it's about that thing about ways that you want to go and what you what your vision for the future is. Um, but definitely starting starting small and being consistent is is really important and understanding that you've got the opportunity. I think people who've got the opportunity to operate in two different sort of systems can actually you know maximize their wealth creation potential because you've got the sort of. African system where you can really make super profits within like within half a day or an hour. But then you've also got the the patient wealth creation system that's in the developed world where it might take you five to 10 years to make that return that you've made in an hour. Mm. The, The good thing about the patient wealth strategy is your money tends to be a bit more secure. It's more stable. Um, and you can literally invest the money and kind of sit back. The, the, the sort of African model is a lot of it, you have to be there and you have to be on the ball all the time. And most of it is transactional, whether it's goods or whatever, or some sort of deal that you're doing. So you physically have to be a part of this. Um, with the work I do with my clients, um, you know, through, through the company I work for, it's really about them giving you money, you're investing, and we're monitoring the investments for them. And the money is just growing over time. So it's about having a strategy. You definitely want your fast moving money, right? But you also want your backup plan, like an insurance policy. And I think that's what a lot of people who are in Africa do when they are investing in the developed world. That investment is more like an insurance policy. And it's there mm-hmm. for later on when they retire or to pass on to the next generation, et cetera, or to support their activities back home. And the money that they have back home is what they're using for day-to-day and to make the quick money, which could then potentially feed the the money in, um, say, in the UK, for instance, or in the US, wherever it is. Um, And I think that is how Africa can actually boost its wealth creation potential when it comes to investments, at least. yeah, because as we've said, there is a lot of wealth in the land anyway. So mm-hmm. yes, we should be making those super profits. It's now just making sure that we can benefit when those profits are being made. Whew. Wow. Wow. 
love it and also a lot of not to be not to keep bringing up the colonial factor but guys a lot of these companies are uh, that a lot of these companies that are being invested in are companies that are doing work and making their millions also from the african continent yeah. so let us be co-owners in exactly, that, exactly. Right? let us own the shares let us yeah do something let us not just be the consumers right yeah 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 this is how we're going to make people the world. to remember yeah i was just going to say that's the thing that people need to remember about investing when mm. you do invest you you actually own a portion of that company mm. um yeah. you, you own a portion it might be a small portion but yeah. you know there are people who have got strategies where they want to become major mm. shareholders so that they can impact change and one of the things that i like about south africa especially when it comes to the women is that the way women come together put money together you know the the stock vells and all of that and can you imagine if we could do that and buy shares and companies we are doing that you see we are um, doing that we shall have a conversation about that offline you know, exactly oh, guys, then, if you're listening to this it's already come out it's in january oh, wow. you guys probably already hear this we'll probably have made it public the wealthy one stockfell check us out on stockfella we are on a mission to have 250 million rand in property assets in wow. in a portfolio within the next 5 years 17 million us dollars in assets and it's open to people around the world so if you're international you probably you can't register with the stockfella app but go to wealthy-money.com/stockfell where you will find a video you'll be told as to how you can join as an international person we launched august 22nd 2021 yep <laughs> so we are on this mission and it is happening so of course hit me up um this is from one of my other podcasts the property magicians podcast me and my co-host dr miranda molotto got together and we are doing this so yes guys you can do it because the power is in the collective exactly. as an individual it will probably take me years to like maybe my lifetime to build up that portfolio right or maybe not who knows maybe it happens faster or maybe it doesn't but my whole point is to build up a property portfolio like that could take me a while and it would require a lot of energy and effort yeah. from me but as a collective it only requires me it requires all of us and we can do it in 5 years and all co-own like cc is talking about co-own uh percentages and like shares in various developments and projects property projects on the african continent so totally agree with that that's yeah, amazing you should talk off line i can't believe i didn't yeah. tell you <laughs> that's amazing oh gosh, yeah we so definitely need to talk just, about it Yeah I mean like I was busy putting everything together I just haven't had time to share with people and also just so nervous to actively own and hold this goal mm. so everything in my nervous system has been like oh, this is impossible it's never going to work out let's freak out <laughs> so like, like I can imagine I can imagine you know? 
<laughs> so it's been very, very interesting, the process. Um, but we've already lined up one deal. We're in it. Probably by the time people listen to this and watch this recording, we will have done several deals and our members will have started have making returns. So we're getting mm. into deals where we get fractional ownership, where we're not that. just investing, but where we get to invest, get a share of the deal itself, yeah. And also make rental or get a share of rental income. Yeah. You know? That's perfect. So, so powerful. Yeah, exactly. I, I love it. it. I love, love it. Congratulations. <laughs> well done. <laughs> oh, thank you. Thank you. It's been incredible starting this. So, Titi, how do people uh, get hold of you? Um, the easiest way would be via my personal website for my coaching business. And my business is called the wealth conversation. So you can go online and um, look for the wealth um, You can also get in touch with me via the wealth conversation page on Instagram or Facebook. And then also you can look for me on LinkedIn. Um, that's Titi Mutiti um, on LinkedIn. Um, I'm very happy to receive DMs from people. Um, yeah. And I'll give Vangile my email address if anyone wants to contact me via email. Fantastic. And guys, that email address will be in the mailing list. Check it out. You heard, Titi, if you've got 200 pounds, you can do this on the regular. Guys, let's do this. We don't, we're not limited to just South Africa in terms of investments. You know, we are able to invest globally as people. And especially right now, let's utilize it, right? Let's set up investment portfolios in the UK. Let's set up investment portfolios in South Africa. Let's set up investment portfolios in the US as well. Let's be truly global in how we're making our money and let's use currencies to our own benefit. Mm. So thank you so much, Titi. Thank you for having me, Vangile. It was it's fantastic. Um, I can't wait to hear more about the Stockwell that you've created and um, and your plans for it. I'm so super excited. Oh my gosh, I can't wait to share it with you. Yeah. Like, woo, this is gonna be awesome. Amazing. So thank you so much. And guys, if you've enjoyed this, you want to be part of the Stockwell. <laughs> not even I'm not even sharing about the money matter cost today. <laughs> Contact um, contact CC, but check out the um, uh, uh, Wealthy Ones Property Stock File. There's a whole story. There's a video on there when you arrive, the, our launch video. It's all recorded. It will share with you what is the stock file, how do you get involved, how do you join. If you're in Southern Africa, not just South Africa, but Southern Africa, you can get onto Stockfella and you go to wealthy-money.com forward slash Stockfile. And Stockfile is S-T-O-K-V, as in V for Vanille, E-L, so Stockfile, wealthy-money.com forward slash Stockfile. Thank you so much for coming through today. Thank you for listening to the podcast. If you're loving what you hear, please, please share this in uh, this podcast with your family and your friends. You never know whose life it's going to change. We change our family stories by sharing information with them, right? Not forcing them to do what we're doing, but allowing them to hear how other people are doing things so that they know that we are not strange, we are not weird. So share away, mm -hmm. 
the podcast episodes and go to iTunes, find us on the Money, Ma- uh, Money Magic podcast, give us a five-star rating and leave us a review. Tell us your favorite podcast. Who did you love? Um, leave us comments on Podbean and leave us comments on YouTube as well. Otherwise, have a fantastic day further. Namaste. I hope you enjoyed this week's episode. If you find this podcast helpful and enlightening, please can you do me a favor and go leave the podcast a five-star review on iTunes or leave a comment on YouTube. And of course, share it with your family and friends. I would really appreciate it because it would help other money magicians who are looking to change their relationship with money find this podcast, which would really make my day. Also, as a bonus, if you're interested in changing your spending habits, I have a complimentary ebook for you. You can download it at wealthy-money.com forward slash workbook. Again, wealthy-money.com forward slash workbook. Have a fantastic day further and I look forward to seeing you on the next episode of the Money Magic Podcast.